Father, tonight, Graceway Baptist Church chooses to remember the persecuted ones, our brothers and sisters. I think about as I read in the book of Revelation, the martyrs under the throne crying out, how long until we're avenged? And I thank you, Lord, that one day you're going to come back. And you're coming back with a sword, the Bible says. And you're going to avenge all of your children who have been persecuted, mistreated, and martyred. And we look forward to seeing that all set straight. Martyrs are important to you. They should be important to us. The persecuted are important to you. In fact, when Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to persecute, you stopped him short and you said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He'd never laid a hand on you, Lord Jesus, but he had laid a hand on your children. He had laid a hand on your body, and you felt it. When Stephen was being stoned, he said, I see the Son of Man standing not seated, standing at the right hand of the Father. Because when the body is hurt, the head reacts. Thank you, Lord, that you identify with us in our sufferings. And we identify with you, Paul said, in suffering. So wherever it is tonight, in a Muslim country, in a communist country, in some other totalitarian area, or if it's in a Hindu village in India where it's not the government, but it's people in the villages that are burning houses and churches, wherever it may be, tonight we choose to remember. We choose to identify because they are a part of our body and we are a part of theirs because we're all a part of yours. And we thank you for those who stand up bravely in a way that would terrify us. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you for their peace. Thank you for their strength. Thank you for their no compromise attitude. Thank you that they can even find ministry inside of a prison, that they rejoice in people coming to know Jesus Christ. Thank you for people that will bring Bibles in and uh, make sure that they are given to believers. Thank you for those people who gather and by hand they copy down whole Bibles so that they can pass them around to family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray, Lord, against oppressive, totalitarian, atheistic, anti-God governments. We pray against those own elements in our own country in Jesus' name. And we pray that they would come to nothing and we pray, Father, that they would be defeated. And we pray, Father, even more like you did with the Apostle Paul. Save them and make them into mighty servants of God. Help families, wives, and children. Help them, Lord, as life gets hard for them because their husband and father is imprisoned. Help little churches all over these countries that are meeting in... Um, the secrecy of their homes. Help them, Lord, to be invisible to hostile governments and at the same time to be very visible to their friends and neighbors so that Christ is glorified. Strengthen them and meet their needs. And make us sensitive to the fact that there are people that are just like us that are suffering 
horribly for doing what we're doing tonight. And let that make our church and our church services and the proclamation of the word and the singing of your praises more precious to us. Help our children to learn and to grow, to love God, to love the word, to love the church. Help us to be non-compromising where it's so easy to live for Jesus. Let us be even more bold, have more faithfulness, to pray more, to depend upon the strength of the Lord. And let us shine as lights in this dark, dark world. And thank you for our nation. Thank you for our founders. Thank you for those who have fought to keep us free. And help us, Lord, not to be just a bunch of unappreciative, spoiled brats. Thank you, Lord, for the United States of America. Give grace to our nation. We don't deserve your blessing, but we pray for grace. And give us a spiritual awakening. And let us always remember the sufferings of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Keep that in mind. and Think about um, those people. And from time to time you may read about them or hear about them on the news. Pay attention to those kind of things. Okay, let's take a few minutes and let's look in Psalm 81. And um, we're going to go down to verse 10. We're not going to cover uh, the whole psalm tonight. But the first 10 verses are actually kind of a call to worship and give reasons to worship. And then we find out why um, the writer was inspired to do that by the Lord. Because in verse 10, uh, we find again that thing that some things never change. Or the more they change, the more they stay the same. Look at verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Verse 11. But my people would not hear my voice, heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Can you hear the cry of God? That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. In other words, the fakes will be in hell forever, won't they? God's not fooled. Verse 16. He would have fed... Come on, think. There we go. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat. Now here's a weird statement. And with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. Honey from the rock. I thought it was water that came out of the rock. But here it's honey from the rock. I'll tell you what I think that means in just a little bit. But as we uh, look at this psalm, I want you to think this psalm does not contradict the sovereignty of God at all. You and I, by our obedience or disobedience, we don't trip up the plan of God or change the plan of God. At the same time, though, that in the sovereignty of God, there is some choices he allows us to make. I don't know why he doesn't just say, zap you and you'll obey me all the time and we just do it. Uh, he gives us some choices. He gives us some freedom and some wiggle room. Now, that's hemmed in, and he said, this far and no further. And uh, some of the things we do and the things that governments do that we've talked about, they don't mess up the plan of God because God is in control of everything that happens. 
So we read this, and yet we hear almost as if there's a teardrop in the heart of God. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that they would hear me. And I wonder how many times he has said that about you. I wonder how many times he has said that about me. I wonder how many times he says that about our church. I wonder how many times he says that about a nation like ours. A Christian nation, we've always heard. Doesn't look very Christian, does it? How many times do we think in a, in a nation where we are the most evangelized nation on the face of the earth? You can hear the gospel anywhere and everywhere at any time. Churches all over the place, right? Radios, the internet, podcasts. I mean, think about all of the gospel that is here in our nation. Think about how many things... Uh, somebody said that if you went to Washington, D.C. Now, I don't think of Washington, D.C. as being very Christian at all. In fact, they seem to be very anti-Christian. And they want to be secular, and they want this to be a secular nation. But I read somewhere one time that if you were to go to Washington, D.C., and remove out of all of the documents, out of all of the uh, museums and archives, out of all of the monuments, any reference to scripture or biblical characters, it would take about 40 years of sandblasting and uh, destruction to get rid of all of that. Uh, there's a lot. It's everywhere you go. And even in a Supreme Court that has made over the years and decades so many godless decisions... You know, they do that um, where in their own building is carved uh, uh, Moses the lawgiver with the Ten Commandments. It's crazy, isn't it? And we think about all of this stuff in terms of what is happening, why does God allow this, and what are we to do in the meantime? And you notice here, number one, that a sovereign God desires to meet your needs, all of them. And just like those birds in that picture on the title screen there, we're to open our mouths wide so that the Lord can feed us. Now, how many times does the Lord come in with something for us, but we, if we use the metaphor of the birds, we don't have our mouths open. We're looking somewhere else. We let everybody else get all the goodies, and we just kind of, you know, sit there and, and then complain because we're hungry. Uh, you don't really get that kind of leeway uh, it's your own fault. The Bible says that if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, a promise from Jesus is you will be filled. Uh, what's the problem? We're not really hungry. In the book of Revelation, it quotes, uh, I believe, Isaiah and says, uh, Ho, everyone who is thirsty, let him come and drink. And can you imagine people saying, I'm not thirsty, and the Lord saying, Then I'm not talking to you. This is for the thirsty, this is for the hungry. And how many times do we not get what we need and what we are going to need later on because at the time God gave it to us, we kind of, like a toddler, turned up our nose. It was green. It wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't a corn dog. It wasn't fries. It wasn't a popsicle. It wasn't mac and cheese. And so we just turned up our nose and we didn't take it and we needed it. We've all had those kids that wouldn't eat and then later on, I'm hungry. Well, you should have eaten, you know. And uh, do we do that to the Lord? Because he said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Because I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. Did he feed the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness? He most certainly did. Did he give them water when they were in the wilderness? He most certainly did. Did he give them meat in the wilderness when they cried out for it? He most certainly did. Did he keep their clothes from wearing out and their sandals from wearing out? He most certainly did. 
Did he part the Red Sea when the Egyptians were about to get them and reclaim them? He most certainly did. I mean, everything that you look at, even through the wilderness, they weren't wandering there. They were being led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, even all the way through, even when they refused to cross the river and refused to believe God. And God said, okay, this generation will die out except for Joshua and Caleb. When Moses himself didn't even get to enter the promised land, God stayed with his people and God led them by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He took care of them. He made sure they were fed even until the last one of them died. And he said, now it's time for you guys to go across the river. God is faithful to his children even when they are so unfaithful to him. So he said, open your mouth wide, not just a little bit, and I will fill it. This is a powerful God, a personal God, and a providing God for everything that we need even when we don't deserve it. Secondly, notice that the sovereign God is not passive when ignored. Uh, if there's anything I think that we have lost in our generation, our Christian generation, and that is a fear of God. And we think that because we can't see God or hear God and we don't understand God and because, you know, I stepped out of his will and did something I shouldn't have and nothing happened, then that's permission. Well, God's not passive. God's not just sitting back going, well, you know, what can you do with them? Um, I had somebody come to me one time and they said, you know, we've got a, a daughter. She's like 22 years old. What do you do with them when they're over 18? I said, are they living in your house? Yeah. And she comes in at 3 in the morning and we've asked her not to do that. Some drugs involved. and I, we, we, don't, we really don't want that in our home. And, um, you know... Like, really? So somehow when they turn 18, you can't control what goes on in your own house anymore. And they said, well, I really hadn't thought about it like that. Doesn't the law say they can do whatever they want? And it's like, yeah, but they can do it in somebody else's house or with somebody else's money or somebody else paying the utilities. Is that hard to do? You bet it's hard to do. But sometimes you have to have, well, what do we call it? What kind of love? Tough love tough love and um, we are so driven by fear now that we're afraid to do anything and afraid to speak and we think that God is kind of like that as well well notice what he says to these people who would not hear his word verse 11 but my people would not heed my voice and there was just nothing I could do because they're over 18 and they have a free will and oh what am I going to do is that what it says because that's the way we act. As if God is this inept grandpa who just can't quite bring himself to do anything. He doesn't have any strength or energy anymore. And, and what, what is a God to do? Well, here's what he did. And Israel would have none of me. Can you imagine after God has done so much for Israel that they would do that to him? It's really, I mean, this is not on God. This is on them. So verse 12 says, So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Wait a minute. Sometimes God doesn't bust your britches, as my mom used to say. Sometimes God doesn't strike you with lightning. Sometimes God doesn't put the bubonic plague on you. You know what sometimes he says? 
okay, have at it. And he lets you run your own way. The book of Judges, last verse in the book, in those days there was no king in Israel. In other words, no authority. And every man did what was. I want you to think about that. Because probably right now for us gathered in here, if we all did what was right in our own eyes, it might get bad, but it wouldn't be too bad. You're nice people. You have morals and ethics, and you still believe the golden rule, you know, whether you prayed today or not. You still kind of believe that, and you know how you ought to talk and how you ought to act, and we'd probably be okay, okay? But let's say that your next-door neighbor was a guy with a little mustache who hated Jews named Adolf Hitler. And God took all the restraints off of a guy like that. Think you might have a little bit of trouble? Think my life might be hard? What if on the other side of you there's a guy named Nero who is so cruel he would take Christians put them, impale them on poles and light them on fire to illuminate his gardens. Uh, that's sadistic on so many levels. Not to mention, can you imagine the smell of all of that? But he didn't care. He laughed at all of that. What if God let that kind of a person live on the other side of you and they took away all the restraints? And what if there were things that you fight in temptation every once in a while but because of the Holy Spirit of God, because of the work of the Word of God, and because of the armor of the believer, those type of things, and because of your maturity, you just say no, and you dismiss it, and it goes away. What if you couldn't get it to go away? What if God so removed the restraints that you could no longer control your anger, you could no longer control your lust, you could no longer control your jealousy, you could no longer control any envy of other people, you could no longer control covetousness, and on and on and on we go with all of that. What if that became unrestrained? Because you know, you know you have those thoughts. You know that there are things that pass through your mind and as quick as a flash you dismiss them by the power of grace, what if those things wouldn't go away? What if those things had to be acted upon and there was little or nothing you could do? I'm telling you, families would be a mess. Marriages would be a mess if they existed. Society would be a mess. Can you imagine you think your commute to get to work is bad now? What if nobody obeyed any of the traffic laws? What if every intersection was all four, eight lanes maybe, of traffic all converging in the middle and trying to work their way through? It's India. I mean, what if? Can you imagine? What if everybody you worked with told you exactly what they thought about you at the moment they thought and they did it with a vengeance? Can you imagine? And this is what the Lord is saying, you don't like my law? No, we really don't, Lord. Okay, then do it your way. I'll give you your wish. And man, it was a terrible, terrible thing. When you read the book of Judges, and you ought to again sometime, 
Think about how wicked the people of God could be. These same people that had come through the Red Sea out of slavery and been in the wilderness and had seen the walls of Jericho fall. The same race of people. By the time you get a couple of generations away, everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Remember that one guy that had the concubine that um, she was raped and everything and, and they left her for dead and so he took it and he cut her up? and then sent uh, one part of her to each one of the 12 tribes? Gruesome. It's amazing what human beings can do. Then you get to Auschwitz and Dachau, six million Jews put into ovens and gassed, and things like that. Horrible, horrible what we can do. But you know what? Um, I would like to say to some of our little socialists that are running for president and in Congress, Stalin killed like 50 million, 50 million of his own people when he was ruling the Soviet Union. Brutal, awful. And sometimes God corrects you the best by giving you what you want. I don't want this anymore. I'm so glad he's gracious. You know, merciful and kind. See what he said? A sovereign God, this is what we need to remember and what the world needs to know. He's not passive when he is ignored. He hadn't destroyed our nation, and I don't know sometimes why. I suspect it's because we're a friend and an ally of Israel, and he told Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you. And so we've gotten a lot of blessing, I think, out of that. And it could be, too, that even as bad as America is, more missionaries come out of our nation and are funded by our nation than all the rest of the world combined. So maybe there's enough Christians here. You know, the Lord did say he wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if he could find five righteous. Well, maybe we're fortunate that we've got a little more than five in our nation, right? After all, you and I are salt and light. Maybe we even restrain um, the judgment of God because we are the blessed ones walking in grace around on this, on this earth and in this land. Um, I don't know. Just, just a little speculation. But another thing that I thought of too is sometimes when it seems like well, God's not doing anything, it may be because he's pulling back on the bowstring. And you don't fire a bow just real quick. You take it and you pull it back, Right? And it may be that we're going around so God's not even doing anything to us. I don't even know that this is a sin. And we go around like that and God's just saying, I'm pulling back further on the bowstring because when it hits, it's going to hit hard. And we don't see that kind of God anymore, do we? Um, he's a God who wants you to get a parking place at the mall. And he's a God who's real concerned that, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it gets kind of silly the way we uh, tend to think of God. Thirdly, The sovereign Lord reveals the benefits of listening. So God's not just saying, hey, you know, you're going to get it if you don't listen. He's also saying, look, here's what I would have done if you had just listened to me. Just listen to me. You know, there are any number of people that counselors will talk to, and they'll get through with their 30-minute session, and this person will get up, and they'll say, oh, thank you. You've helped me so much. And you go, I didn't say anything. Because you know what they really wanted to do? They just wanted to talk. They wanted to be heard. 
It's important to be heard. Somebody listened. They didn't try to correct me, advise me. They just listened. They just listened. You know what? You've got a sovereign God in heaven who says many times in the Bible, hear my words. Listen to me. And there's so much drowning out the voice of God. There's so many other things we run to. And it's as if God is speaking and then we hear a, you know, a video game over here and we go, excuse me, God. And we run on over there to play our little games, to do our little thing. And uh, we run away from him when we don't pay attention. And the Lord is pleading here for us to listen to him. Verse 13, the cry of his heart. You, you may not think of God as being emotional. How do you read this and not see his hurt and his pain? Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. Maybe the reason you're not having victory over the devil and his demons when you are practicing your warfare and putting on your armor is because you're not really listening to God. You, I got this, God. You know, you ever try to instruct your kids and you could tell the way their eyes were kind of rolling around and the way their head was going and their voice is going, yeah, 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 yeah. And you go, you're not listening to a thing I say. They're acting like it, kind of. But you're smarter than that. You could see through it. You knew that they weren't listening. And how many times do we do that? You know, you're going to have a quiet time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that, got that, and put it away. And we don't even pray about it, think about it, meditate on it. And we forget it later on. We don't hear his ways. And maybe the reason we're not more effective in our warfare and overcoming sin in our lives, uh, that type of thing, is because we're just not listening to God anymore. We did when we first got saved. We did when we were first learning truth, fresh and new. But now it's old and stale and we're not paying attention anymore. Be careful. Oh, that my people would listen to me. He may be saying that to you. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. In other words... Those who pretend are going to go to hell, then God's not fooled by any of those. They fool us, but they don't fool him. And God is saying, I'm looking for genuineness. I'm looking for people who really love, who really care, who really listen, who really link up with my heart. That's what I'm looking for. And those kind of people, I fight for them. Those kind of people, man, I subdue their adversaries. I make a way for them. They have victory in the midst of of their trials and the things that they're going through. Now, the fakes are going to get what they deserve. Don't worry about those. God will sort them out. Kind of like what uh, Jesus said about the wheat and the tares. They're planted together, and the disciples said, should we go get the tares out of there? No, because then you'll hurt the wheat. Just leave it alone. In the harvest, it'll be sorted out. And I think that's, in a sense, what the Lord is saying here. Leave that stuff to me. I'll sort it out. You be you, and you be genuine, and you hear my word and see what I'll do for you. And then... The next thing that he says, number four, is the sovereign Lord brings inexplicable satisfaction. Why do I say that? Well, it says, he would have fed them also with the finest of wheat. That's talking about all of our needs being met. God can meet it uh, in so many ways. But this was weird. And with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. Hmm. You know, the Bible says in Romans... The goodness of God leads to repentance. I've always thought about that and say, okay, God, if you'll give me a couple of million, I'll serve you. Let your goodness lead me to repentance. Well, it could be. There are sometimes God gives you things you don't deserve in an abundance you didn't expect, and it humbles you before him. Sometimes that happens. 
But you know what I think the real thrust of that is? God says, here you are living in all of the junk that you wanted and I let you have it and look how miserable you are and look how inept you are and look how the enemy is running all over you. You look like a fool. And then he gives us a glimpse over here. Over there is where the goodness of God is. But the only way I can get to where the goodness of God is is to quit walking this direction and walk this direction. Oh, Lord, I want that. That's the way I want to live. And we turn and we start walking that direction because we're not going to get it over here. Not going to get it in all of this manure and rottenness and everything. It's over there. And the goodness of God leads me to what? Repent. Repentance just means to turn, basically. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And here I am getting what I want and I hate it. And there's what God has promised for me. And I would rather have that. So I repent and the goodness of God leads me to repentance. And I think that's what he's saying through the psalmist here. The goodness of God. Uh, it shows up in here by saying that uh, I would feed you with the finest of wheat. Okay. Here's what I got. When I got what I wanted and did it my way, oh, it's just turning on me. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I just knew this was going to make me happy and it's not making me happy. I just knew this was going to make me somebody and I'm still a nobody. I just knew this was going to be the answer that I could lay down and sleep at night if I only had that and I wouldn't listen to God. And he said, go. Go play in. Instead of a sandbox, you get a manure box. Just go play in it. See if it makes you happy. And I look at this and say, this is horrible. What's going on? Well, I tried to tell you that, son. You wouldn't listen. Okay, I'm ready to listen now. Look what I have for you. And the goodness of God leads us to repentance and things change. Well, what about the honey from the rock? Honey doesn't typically come from rocks. Does it? You don't typically get honey from a rock. You know what I think he's saying? With the sweetness of honey, giving you a life that is sweet, giving you contentment, and he uses the word satisfaction in here. Wouldn't it be great to just be, oh, I'm just satisfied. I'm just satisfied. I'm content. God is blessing me. Oh, I'm just satisfied. How did you get satisfied? Well, there was this rock, and there was honey coming out of it. They're going to put you away if you say that, right? I think what he's saying is, I will satisfy you in inexplicable ways. You don't typically get honey out of a rock unless God does it. You don't typically get peace in the midst of a storm unless God does it. You don't typically have joy even in a prison cell unless God does it. And I think the psalmist is telling us, the Lord is saying, hey, you listen to me. And I'll meet all of your needs with the finest of wheat. Right? You can do a lot of things with wheat. And then for dessert, I'm going to give you honey out of a rock in a way that you can't explain. I'm going to bring sweetness into your life. And God loves to do things like that for his children. How did, how did, you, how did you make it during that time when you were unemployed? I don't know. can't explain it. How did you make it during that time... When you had cancer and were going through chemotherapy and you could hardly put one foot in front of another. I don't know. It was just God. How'd you do it when you were deployed 
And it was 120 degrees and you had to put on your body armor and your uniform and you had to get in a Humvee and you had to do that. How'd you survive all of that and still be happy and still have joy? I don't know. It had to have been God. How'd you go through that time with that rebellious child that broke your heart? And uh, now you get to see the goodness of God as things are put together. How'd you survive that? I don't know. It had to be God. How'd you get through the death of a spouse or the death of a child? How'd you get through the death of a loved one? How do you do that and keep your head held high? And how do you do that and still have faith? I don't know. I can't explain it. You might put it like this. Hmm. It's just honey from the rock. Doesn't make any sense. Inexplicable. Till you factor in G-O-D. Then it all makes sense. You get water from the rock when you need water and honey from the rock when you need honey. And you can tell anybody and everybody, how'd you do that? How'd you make it? How do you handle it? Just tell them, honey from the rock. They're going to look at you <laughs> weird. And you know what? It's your opportunity to say, well, in Psalm 81, it says God gives satisfaction with honey from the rock. And you know what that means? It means it's something that only God can do. And that's what my life is, a walking testimony of something that only God can do. How'd you make it? Honey from the rock. I think I may do that. You can do it too. Sunday morning, somebody says, how you doing? Instead of going, oh, I'm making it. Just go, honey from the rock. How'd you get through that trial? Honey from the rock. And they're going to look at you, and you might have a chance to help them grow in the Lord. Share what you've learned. And watch tomorrow for how many times God gives you honey from the rock. When you open up the door and it's not like a blast furnace, honey from the rock. When you go home and somebody says, Hey, I'm glad you're home and I give you a hug or a little kid comes up and calls your name and wraps their arms around your leg. Honey from the rock. When your car starts and it's January and the wind chill is 20 below zero and the car starts up and the heater comes on. Honey from the rock. And when you pray for persecuted believers, you might even use that phrase. Give that prisoner in the cell a taste of honey from the rock today. Yeah, let's pray. Father, as the source of life, as the source of everything we need to sustain us, you told us tonight we could have our enemies subdued. Doesn't mean we don't have battles. That's why they have to be subdued. You would fight those battles for us and through us. You would meet all of our needs with the finest of wheat. And then every once in a while you'll give us honey from the rock and we don't even know where it came from or why except it was from your hand. It was a miracle. So Lord, tonight let us taste that. Let us yearn for that. And let the goodness of God lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here tonight. Remember to pray for one another, minister to one another, and we will see you on Sunday. Take your prayer list with you and pray for these people throughout the week and take your uh, persecuted Christian thing and pray for them. Keep those on your mind. Okay, you're dismissed. <laughs>